Let me tell you about John Harper. John Harper was a Scottish preacher who was working for a church in London, um, but also travelled around to tell uh, other people, other groups, about Jesus. John Harper lived just over a hundred years ago. And in 1912, John Harper agreed to go from London to Chicago in the States uh, to lead a church there in a series of events, speaking, telling people about the gospel, about Jesus. Of course, in those days, you couldn't just jump on a plane. You had to take a boat. So John Harper booked his ticket along with his daughter and his sister. He'd previously lost his wife. And he booked his ticket on the uh, RMS Titanic. Of course, we all know, familiar with the story of the Titanic. It sank, spoiler alert. When, it, when the boat began to, to sink after hitting the iceberg, John Harper ensured that his daughter and his sister were safely put on a, a life raft. They survived. He then himself made the most of the opportunity that he had to go around and to tell as many people as he could that they needed to get right with God, that they needed to turn and trust in Jesus. The reports tell us that uh, he not only gave his uh, life vest to somebody else, telling them that they needed it more than he did, but that once he was in the water, he swam from person to person, speaking to them about Jesus, telling them that their hope lay not in themselves, but in trusting in Jesus, that their eternal souls could be saved from death, from hell, from destruction. What has John Harper got to do with us? I guess the question is why? Why is it that that man decided to do that with his dying moments? Well, here's the answer. Because Jesus offers hope to all people, even in their dying moments of salvation. Offer of life. And he requires, Jesus requires, no goodness, no CV showing that they are worthy of this offer. No track record of improvement, no reading of the the balances of life to show that they've done more good than bad. Jesus requires none of that to save. And so for John Harper, he could go to, to every person, not needing to check whether they were good enough, but simply to say Jesus had done it all, if only they would trust in him. John Harper had that confidence probably because of the events that took place at the cross. Because Jesus said to a dying criminal who could offer nothing, nothing but a plea for help, a plea for mercy, Jesus said to that criminal, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the second part of our series, Crosswords, what Jesus said on the day that he died. And we're going to ask the question today, what does it take to be saved? What does it take to be saved? 
Let's read the interaction between Jesus and this man, this criminal. We're going to read it from Luke's uh, uh, gospel, Luke's account of the life of Jesus. We're told in verse uh, Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, with Jesus, to be executed. And then from verse 39 it says this, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, obviously, the Bible's accounts, and there are multiple accounts of the life and death of Jesus, focus on on Jesus. But Luke tells us that two other people, two other men were uh, crucified at the same time, on that same day, a bit of Roman efficiency. And Luke gives us a description, a sensory description of the events that take place. So firstly, he gives us the, the visual. One man is crucified on the right of Jesus and the other is crucified on the left of Jesus. Three crosses, three men, three crucifixions and Jesus in the middle, front and centre. And as Luke's describing the events, he, he shows us sort of just to the, to the right, if you will, just off centre, off stage. We see the soldiers, the ones who are crucifying Jesus. They're before the cross, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots. They, uh, they bet to see who will get the, the spoils, a holiday bonus, if you like. And in front of the cross, we see crowds gathered bystanders those who have come to to see the spectacle those who knew jesus the religious leaders who had been at the forefront of, of demanding this orchestrating these events and we see other soldiers watching on too and then luke gives us not just the the visual but also the audio he describes to us shouts that are coming being thrown at jesus he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. That was the religious leaders shouting out. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. That's what the soldiers were shouting at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And if we've just heard that's one of the other criminals who is being crucified. Some of the other accounts of the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus have both of the other two men being crucified shouting these, um, these insults, these mocking insults at Jesus. And it's the next sound that we hear that is so surprising. Luke lists these, these different uh, mocking accounts being thrown at Jesus. And maybe we expect to hear Jesus speak back. Whether to offer a, a, a defence or to offer a reason that he's not saving himself. Or to, to, to shout back with a rebuke. But the next voice that we hear is the other criminal. 
and he speaks to the one that's doing the mocking. And as he speaks, he spells out how they are both the same, he and the, the other criminal. But he also shows how they're different in his response to Jesus because he sees such differences between himself and Jesus. He speaks to the, the mocker and he says, don't you fear God? Don't you understand what's going on here? Don't you see that this is different, that this man who's between us is different? And he says this, we're all being crucified, that's happening to the three of us. But there's a major difference going on here because we are getting what we deserve. We are getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Me and you, we are receiving justice. What does it take to be saved? Well, answer number one is a recognition that you don't deserve to be saved. If we take away all the bluster, all the the cosmetic cover-ups that we each have in our lives, when it comes down to it, do we believe Do we know to be true the fact that we are undeserving of God's kindness? It's so easy to look at other people and to say that they are undeserving. But if we are truly honest with ourselves, do we deserve God to save us? When all is revealed, not what other people see, but what God sees. If God, if there is a God, and maybe you're, you're sat on the fence on that, maybe you're not sure. But if there is a God and he knows all things about all people and he knows every intimate detail of your life, every thing you've done, every word you've said, every thought in your heart. Are you a person who deserves to be saved? And the Bible's answer is that there is nobody who's lived a life to the standard that God calls us to live. What does it take to be saved? We have to recognise that we don't deserve to be saved. And the criminal recognises that in himself. He says, I'm getting what I deserve. I deserve to be punished. We don't know what his crime was. We don't know the details, but he's honest enough to admit this is justice. Death is the right end for me. Are we honest with ourselves? But the criminal doesn't just see himself. He also sees Jesus. We are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. I'm getting justice, but he's clearly not. Jesus is deprived of fairness. And what we learn here is that this man clearly has some knowledge of Jesus, beyond the fact that he's being crucified. He knew something of who Jesus was. 
maybe he got wind during the, the trials that Jesus had just undergone in front of various leaders, kings and rulers. And they were kangaroo courts where Jesus was tried to be fitted up and nobody could find anything against him. Maybe he'd heard the, the rumours around the, the palace. But maybe he knew more. Jesus had caused such a stir in Israel. Presumably everybody would have heard about him. Would have heard about the things that he'd said. Would have heard about the things that he'd done. The miracles. The way that he had cared for people who society didn't care for. The way that he had loved and taught this preacher, this carpenter's son from the backwater of Nazareth, this miracle worker. All the stories, all the testimonies, all these things that were resented by the powerful but, but loved by the common man. This criminal knew enough to know that Jesus didn't deserve to die. More than that, he knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong. What does it take to be saved? Answer number two, a recognition that Jesus' Jesus's death wasn't for himself. That he was undeserving of death. More than that, that he's worthy of, of honour, of eternity, of reward. We must grapple with Jesus. If we want to be saved, if we want heaven, if we want a better life to come, if we want to be saved from the mess that we made of our own lives, we must grapple with Jesus, with this Jesus, the Jesus presented by the Bible. If heaven is being with Jesus, if salvation depends on him alone, then we've got to ask the question, does his life bear up? Is he worthy? Is he different? Can he save? Is he really good enough to be God? We've got to open the Bible. Maybe you've never read for yourself the events of the the life of Jesus is given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We need to start there. But this criminal knew enough. Not least in the last hours of his own life. He had the clarity to realise that Jesus was utterly different. Jesus was good. He said to himself, I am unworthy and condemned rightly. Jesus is worthy and suffers condemnation unjustly. But how do those two things interact? To know that I am unworthy and Jesus is worthy. To know that I deserve death and Jesus didn't deserve to die. How do those two things interact to mean that someone like that criminal or someone like me can be saved? And the answer is faith. It's the middle of Friday afternoon as I record this now. I'm beginning to get hungry. Lunch seems a long time ago. 
Um, but at home, I know that there's a, a fridge full of food. I'm hungry. There's a fridge full of food. But just because those two things are true doesn't mean that I'm now satisfied. To be satisfied, I've got to go home and eat. Similarly, just the facts, the bare facts that I deserve to die and Jesus didn't deserve to die. That's not enough. There's got to be an interaction that takes place, an, an action that means that I, I can put my trust in Jesus. And the Bible calls it faith. An action which says, I, I recognise these, these two things. That Jesus is dying unjustly, therefore for somebody else. And I'm worthy of death. And I've got no hope of saving myself. How, how can I bring these two things together? How can I act? Well, listen to what the criminal says. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What does it take to be saved? We had answer number one. A recognition that you don't deserve to be saved. Answer number two, a a recognition that Jesus' death wasn't for himself, wasn't for his own actions. Answer number three, turning to Jesus. Remember me. It is putting your trust, your faith in Jesus and saying Jesus is my only hope. I'm throwing it all in with him. That's what the criminal does. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Humanly speaking, it's, it's an amazing statement or it's a nonsense statement. Because Jesus is dying. He's been nailed to the cross. He's gasping for breath, slowly but surely being suffocated. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Above Jesus' head, they placed a a sign proclaiming him to be the king of the Jews. But what sort of kingdom does a dying man have? The thief recognises, the criminal recognises that Jesus won't be halted by death. He recognises that death won't be the end for Jesus that there will be life and victory and kingship to come to find salvation we have to turn we have to make that action we have to throw our lot in with him we have to believe him Jesus has spent all this time preaching about the kingdom the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And this criminal says, I'm, I'm in. If only you'll have me. And it's then that Jesus says these words, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The story plays out. Jesus dies. 
and then the, the, the Roman soldiers come and break the legs of the other two criminals so that they will die quicker. But Jesus says, beyond this moment, there will be life. There will be a kingdom. There will be paradise. And you will be with me. You have put your faith in me, will be with me. There is life after death. And whilst, whilst in our culture it might be seen as madness to talk about life after death, we all live as though there's life after death. We all live as though the actions that we do in the here and now have significance beyond now, beyond the instant repercussions. We believe that there's a point in living well, in living rightly. We don't live as though this is all there is. We live as though there is something to come. And the Bible says there is something to come. There is the kingdom of God. Where Jesus, who did not stay dead but rose to new life. Jesus ascends into heaven and establishes a new kingdom. He establishes paradise. A place of refreshing and joy and life. And he's the king. And this criminal is promised with certainty. Today you will be with me in paradise. That the moment your eyes close in death in this life. The next thing you will know you will be with Jesus. In life everlasting. Life where the death and all the impact of death. All the misery and suffering of this world is done away with we are with the one who has saved us that's the promise that was jesus made to that criminal that's the promise that he makes to to all who will trust in him put their faith in him no matter what they've done previously and no matter and this is the, the beauty of this. Well, this criminal has got nothing to offer Jesus. The rest of his earthly life was a few short hours where he, where he hung on a cross. Dying slowly, painfully. There was no instant reason that Jesus was getting anything out of this. From this man. Other than the glory of seeing this man turn and trust in him of taking up the offer we read Psalm 27 earlier the Lord is my light and my salvation the Lord is my salvation what is faith? it's that claim it's that taking hold of the fact that there is a saviour and saying he is my Savior, the Lord is my salvation. His life is mine. I want to return you to that not yet 40 year old man, John Harper, the Scottish pastor, swimming between dying men in the freezing waters of the mid Atlantic with this hope. Not just for himself, but for any who would turn and trust in Jesus. That Jesus saves all who put their hope in him.
for none deserve his favour. All are offered hope in his grace. And some will even come on that day, even on this day, to know God through Christ. To receive forgiveness. And to receive the promise that one day they will be with Jesus in his kingdom. And the death and suffering of this world will be done. And they will have begun the great adventure of knowing their God. And growing in his likeness and in his love. And experiencing the freedom and joy of being who they were made to be. That offer is open to all today. If you put your faith in Jesus. And that means for those of us who already know Jesus... It means that we should have a renewed confidence as we think about friends and family members and next door neighbours and the people we work with. Jesus can and does save all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. Even and maybe especially those who are least deserving. And we are all undeserving. Jesus saves. Let me pray.